listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, everybody. I think that their makeup is running a little bit when they're trying to get these out, but uh, man, what a great job the team did at all of this. Can we just give it up for the team? So creative. Welcome to part two of Home Improvement. If you have anything to take notes on, boy, today's going to be a day you're going to want documentation for. Um, I want you to get pretty excited with me in the house today. In fact, I want you to go bananas. I want you to clap, scream, do everything. Kaya and I are celebrating 25 years of marriage. Now, this January, we'll be married 13 years. Uh... We just heard that the 25th was so good, we started to celebrate it early, everybody. And, uh, <laughs> no, you know, Kai and I, we've implemented some things along the way that have made our family what it is, and the truth is, is that we're building it not just to be around at our 25th anniversary, but should the Lord tarry his return uh, until Jesus comes, or as Kai likes to say, if it has to happen, it has to happen notebook style at the same time. And so, so we're building our marriage to last, everybody. And it's, it's a miracle because of the background that I came from. I did not come from a godly background. I did not come with people that were engaged in church. In fact, my parents were cheesters. They came at Christmas and Easter, if that. I remember being shocked. We had some lady, Rex and Cheryl, they'd pick us up inside their little old church bus. and We'd show up at the church, and I remember it was Easter. I was floored to see my parents dressed up and in church. I'm thinking... And I literally asked, what are you doing here? You know, like, and, and so I did not grow up in, in a godly home. My childhood was marked by poverty and abuse and neglect. I have vivid memories of my mother, who was a drug addict and an alcoholic, beating my sister mercilessly. So I did not come from good stock. The fact that I have a godly family is a miracle of God. God has been faithful to me. Amen. And the reason why I say that is because the man standing in front of you today was not always the man who stands in front of you. I, I was not always like this. Before Christ, I was perverted and insecure and angry and frustrated and broken and fearful. I was so angry. You could say one cross thing to me, and I would just flip about things. And so Kai and I have implemented some things that have worked. I remember when I did get saved, I still had a lot of growth to do in my life. I was dating a girl who's not my wife, and, and I knew that she wasn't going to be the one I was going to marry. And God dealt with me. He said, Joe, you need to stop dating this girl, but then don't date anybody. I'm like, Lord, <laughs> the devil. You start rebuking God, it's, it's dangerous. And, and he said, I want you to spend two years and qualify yourself for your wife. I'm a blue-blooded American boy, 18, 19 years old. I wanted to date, see girls, have fun. I'm going to Bible college. What do you want to do? Chase girls, have fun. But I restrained myself. And at the end of those two years, there was my wife. And I'm not saying that I even got close to the qualification that she had just coming from a godly family. But I will tell you that it made all the difference. And Kai and I, we, we, we structured our marriage and our life around God's word, and it made all the difference. And I can tell you without fear of contradiction, no matter your background, no matter what you might have already faced in your family, 
If you begin to structure your home on God's word, your family will be amazing. Your family will outlast the trials of life. Amen? Today's message, if you're taking notes, write it down. It is structure for home improvement. Last week, we talked about foundations. Foundations are massive. If you missed that, newchapel.com slash watch, or you can subscribe to the podcast. Today, we want to begin to build something. We're going to start to do some, some rough framing. We're going to get some structure involved. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Now, we read this same narrative last week from Luke, Luke's account, Dr. Luke. This is Matthew saying the words of Christ. Here we go. Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, does them, say those two words, one, two, three, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I want you to say that word not, one, two, three, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. What happened? It fell. And great was its fall. A couple thoughts about a house on sand. First is this. Jesus is preparing us for serious difficulties that we will face in life. So, so notice, the, the storm came for the godly person, the person who built their house, their life, their family on the rock. It also came for the ungodly. But the foundations made all of the difference. There is no such thing, listen to me, as a life without difficulty, a life without hardship. There is instability in the world and in culture and in the economy. And Jesus is saying, hey, while you're building your house, trouble's coming. Someone says, well, Pastor Joe, why would anyone be so foolish to build their house on the sand. Look at me. Remember this moment. A complete disregard for reality. And that's what we see in culture today. A complete disregard for how the world works. They're deceived. And in a world full of deception, here's Jesus, countercultural, being like, I'll tell you the truth. This is what the truth is. Wise builders build their house for the worst case scenario. A couple years ago, Kai and I were building our house and and uh, I like to go over and above a little bit. And uh, I, I was getting my foundation in, and they hadn't filled in yet. And I had a great slope, have a great slope. So we got a big old walk out in the back of our, our house. But I was thinking, man, I don't want water to pool up in one area because there were some streaks of clay, mostly sandy, loamy, but some streaks of clay. And so I said, Dad, you know, how much tiling do I need? If you don't know what tiling is, it's, it's a system of pea gravel and PVC, and it makes it so water can't collect on one side of your foundation and then get through your foundation and, and disrupt the house. I said, how much, how much tiling do I need on my foundation for when it rains? And my dad said, son, you don't, you don't put in drainage for when it rains. You put drainage in for the flood. And for you and your family, as you're building your home, you need to structure it in such a way. You're not structuring it for the good times. Good times are easy. You're structuring it for when the storm comes because it's coming. Next thing, Jesus promises total security and total success to those who obey his word. Think of it. He says, you can outlast. Storm's going to come. No big deal. You build it on the rock, you'll outlast all of that junk. If you build your life, your home, your family on what people think, your house will fail. 
If you build your house, your home, the structure of your life on what is popular, your house will fall. But if you build your house, your home, your family on God's word, it will it last anything that comes against it. Say amen, somebody. Next, write it down. Jesus promises failure to every person and family that disobeys his word. If you're going to do it on your own, go off to your own thing, build a life on sand, remember this, it will fail. I've seen people experience heartache uh, my whole ministry. I've counseled families, I've counseled people, and I wish for just a moment I could convey to you somehow the pain that I've had a front row to. I've seen people suffering. They've gone through it. And, and here's the reason why. If they're the victim of some of these family things or, or conditions that were put on them, it's because somebody didn't do it God's way. Oftentimes, though, I see husbands and wives and, and young people, and, and they're in pain, heartache. And it's because they knew what God wanted them to do, and they didn't care. They did their own thing. And it costs so much pain along the way. I don't want that for you. I want families to stay together. I want marriages to stay together. I want kids to thrive. And and an evil devil is trying to destroy everything good about your home. Don't let him do it. How do we fix that, Pastor? Side with God in God's way. Say amen, somebody. So I want to give you some thoughts about building your life on sand. Why would anyone build on sand? Well, the first thing is that sand is more comfortable than rock. Every time I've gone to Grand Haven, I never see anybody lounging out getting a suntan on the rocks. They're on on the sand. They're lounging out there. And and listen, that's great for a day. You can build a day off from a sand life, but you can't build a life off from building off from the sand. It's fun for a moment till the storm comes against your family and home. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, it's not comfortable. It's hard to do it God's way. Okay, let me just tell you the currency of this interaction. Christianity is not about your comfort. That's not the currency we're dealing with. This is not about your comfort. This is about being true to the one who died for you naked and rejected of men. It's not about your comfort. I'm glad you're clapping now. Remember that. Next thing. It's more popular than building on rocks. Why would you build on that? It's more popular to do it. More people are building their life on sand than they are on rock. And so consequently, when you go out for the court of public opinion, you get it, and it's typically a bunch of sand thinking. And the thought is, well, man, everybody else is doing it. You know, when my kids come and tell me that, my response is this. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I am not going to parent my kids according to what is popular. I'm going to parent my kids and lead my home according to what is right. And if that makes people not like me, if if I'm not popular with certain people, listen to me. I don't want to break it to you, but there's a whole line of people that don't like me. I've made peace with that a long time ago. I need to lead my house and my church according to what the Lord would have us do. Amen, somebody? Finally, sand is conformable. When you lay down in the sand and get up, it looks like you. You lay down on a rock, you look like rock. (laughs) It'll put a real impression on you. And, And this is Jesus saying, I'm not conforming to what you think. You don't want a God so small you can manipulate him. You want a God that you have to conform to, that you have to change your thinking about. You have to say, God, I want your way of doing and being right. Amen, somebody? 
So here's what I want to do. I want to show you that this, this concept of building on sand doesn't work. You need to build on the rock. But once the rock is there, you need to begin that rough framing. You got to put some studs in place. We need some structure that's going to last the storm. And that's what God wants to give to you today. A couple of thoughts about that. The last point is going to be a real roller coaster. Number one, write it down. If you want to build a lasting family, write it down. Surrender your life and your family to the lordship of Jesus and his word. You're like, well, Pastor, you kind of talked about building our lives and like foundation stone is on God's word. Yeah, he's going to be involved like in every spot of this, just so you know. Is you're building your life, you have to yield to what Jesus would have you do. The Bible, the, the, the word of the Lord is the final authority at the Bevel Aqua home, and I would encourage it to be that way for you. We don't go for just good ideas. We want what the Lord is trying to say. God doesn't bless good. He blesses his decisions. And so functional families, godly families, those that are really going to thrive, they're surrendered families where Jesus is the Lord, and they submit to the Lord and to each other. These are are, are moments where there's big decisions, and and a lot of the decisions you're going to face, they're not in the Bible. I mean, where you're going to live, how much you're going to pay for property, if you should take this job or that, and you got to get together as a family and be able to seek the Lord, but you're looking for his will. His way is best. Isaiah, what does he say about it? Isaiah 53, he says, all we like sheep, remember that, the Bible calls you a sheep. All over the Bible calls you a sheep. They're really cute animals. They're pathetic but they're very cute animals. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We're doing our own thing. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. What is that saying? Jesus died to pay for your sin of independence. Well, that one didn't hit as nice as the others. Listen, he died because you were going off doing your own thing, going your own way, and you're a sheep. Sheep are largely useless, okay? Mindless animals. So when the Bible's trying to say you're a sheep, it's not a compliment. It's kind of a dig at you. Sheep can't navigate. I've never heard of a honing sheep, okay? <laughs> sheep can't bear burdens. There's no such thing as a pack sheep. Sheep cannot defend themselves. There's no attack sheep. Sheep need a shepherd. And the Bible's trying to say you need a shepherd. You need a relationship with a God that can tell you what to do and you're pliable and obedient to that. We're called to be sheep. I imagine that God, sometimes when he looks down at our lives and us trying to manage our own decisions, that he's just, it must be so pitiful. I have four kids. I'm building my family in such a way that because if the Lord tarries that more of our life, they'll be my brother and, and sister in Christ than I'll just be dad. I'll always be dad, but, but I'm trying to build our lives in such a way where they'll be willing to come home and ask mom and dad for advice. I'm trying to build it in such a way where we can help them and guide them. I don't want 26-year-old adolescents. That's not what I'm describing. But I am describing somebody who, who really wants input from somebody that's been their age and they've never been mine. You hear what I'm saying? And I imagine the heart of God, like how, how rewarding it would be for him for us to do the same thing. Now, now, what about the opposite? I'd be so hurt if they just blow me off and they didn't want to hear anything I had to say. Can you imagine the heart of God when we do that? He wants to lead us and guide us to good things. And oftentimes we miss it because we're not submitted to him. We're off doing our own thing. Psalm 23, the famous passage, the Bible says this, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me behind, beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is a picture of a person whose life is surrendered to Jesus Christ. I love that it says that he restores my soul. Some of you have said too much, done too much, put yourself out there. You think the magic's never going to come back in family. And what God wants to say to you today is, I want to restore your soul. You're going to forget the shame of your youth. You're going to forget all that dysfunction. And your family will be a testament of God's goodness in the midst of so many families that are falling apart. Number two. You need to be willing to do the hard thing, the unpopular things. You need relationships that are willing to hold you accountable. Many people who are building their life on sand, and you'll have to forgive me, I have young kids, I call them sand people, okay? So the people building their lives on sand, they know what the Bible says. They might even agree with what the Bible says. It's just too hard for them. They don't want to do it. You know, the Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe and shudder it's not about what you know about the Bible. It's about what you're doing in the Bible. You know, a lot of you found New Chapel because we took a hard stance when a bunch of lily-livered, yellow-belly pastors were closing the church with they had no right to do before God to close the church of Jesus Christ. Different sermon, not that I'm passionate about it. You found New Chapel because we took a hard stand. But God doesn't just need your agreement. He knows he's right. God needs your obedience. So when you know and you do, that's when you're going to be blessed. The Bevelock was we act because we believe God told us to do it. Let me just tell you, if I was hearing voices for myself apart from God and I still wanted to plant a church, we would have planted it in the Florida Keys. I have a real heart for those little islands and the people there. I don't care if there's three of us in Jesus. We'll call it four or no more church in Jesus. I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary. Snow is coming. The values of the Bevel Aqua home, they're based on God's word. That's what matters. And we're going to obey what God has told us to do. And this also echoes in your support system. You need to commit to speaking the truth to your kids, to your spouse, to your friend circle, even when it hurts. Because I've realized this, the person who loves you is not the person who tells you what you want to hear. The person who loves you is the one who's willing to tell you the truth, even when it's hard. Even when it costs the relationship. Because it might cost you the relationship in the short term, but in the long term, God's word always works. His wisdom always prevails. And so are you that way to other people? Or are you in that agreement club? Are you just telling people what they want to hear? If you do Christianity well, there will come a time in your walk with God where you will not be liked by everybody. Woe to those whom everybody agrees with, everybody loves. Oh, I just love what they have to say. Listen, wouldn't it stand to reason that you'd be at New Chapel for a while, and even if you just love what I have to say, and I'm feeding the sheep, I'm feeding the sheep, every once in a while we got to shear those sheep. It would stand to reason, if I love you, that you'd hear a truth that maybe is a little hard. 
quiet in this Presbyterian church all of a sudden. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because the hard truth often is what we require. And the people that, that, that drip honey in our ears and tell us what we want to hear often are the people that are not there when our plans fall apart. They're not there to bail us out when things crumble. You know, and Jesus, man, he wasn't... You know he got killed for a reason? He wasn't saying things that everybody agreed with. Jesus was not politically correct. In fact, why be politically correct when you can just be right? That's my opinion. And so they crucified Jesus. Wouldn't it stand that they're not going to agree with you? But I'm going to tell you something. You have to do it God's way. When you live a life of disobedience, you're paddling upstream. When you finally say, God, yes to your will and your way, I'm done doing it. You're finally moving with the current, and God knows us. God knows us. Without trusting God relationships in our life, you'll undermine, you'll self-sabotage, you'll ruin the earthly relationships, and it causes pain. Number three, I've got to press on. If you want to build a lasting family, we're framing this thing out, you need to keep your family in a Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church where they can be grounded spiritually and build strong relationships. Oh, like New Chapel. Hebrews, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds, not forsaking, not forsaking, not forsaking, don't do it, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Some people think they can go be Christian and do their own thing, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching, capital D, as you see the imminent return of Christ for the rapture of his church, as you see Bible prophecy prophesied 4,000 years ago in Zephaniah playing before your eyes in the Middle East, as you, as you see the economic system lining up for a one-world government, as you see the day approaching, if there's ever been a time to be in church, it's now. If there's ever been a time to ensure that your kids are in the house of God, it's now. They've never needed it more than right now. We need this. It's, it's required. I have to press on. Point number four. This one is going to burn. Men need to be the Jesus of their home. Now, Mom, I'm not, I'm not saying you're unimportant. You're You're vital. I think women are vital. My wife is preaching next week, and hopefully she'll bring you all the warm fuzzies you're not going to get in the rest of this message. But, but, but mom is so important. I'm not discounting the women. What I'm trying to say is that men, you need to be the Jesus of your home. Successful families and dysfunctional families have one common denominator, and it's dad. It's the husband in the house. Some stats, 70 to 80% of urban children in America grow up without a father. Most of them don't know who he is. 30 to 40% of American children grow up without their father in the family. The clearest correlation between poverty, violence, imprisonment, domestic violence on women, whether or not they're going to be a success in their life, is either an absent or a passive father. Fathers are the primary shapers of sexual identity in little boys and girls. And throughout history, there have been two defaults that men have gone to, two different islands that they like to reside in. The first one is excuses and indecision. The other one looks like trying to find refuge in recreation or their job or an achievement. 
There's two different islands. I'm going to bring this out in living color. Jot these down. The men that don't reflect Jesus for their home, they're passive in subservience. Passive. They have a faux humility. They'd like to say, well, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm mild-mannered. I'm a humble guy. No, you're weak. You don't know how to stand up for yourself. You allow others to railroad you all the time. You allow people to run you ragged. No, you're passive. How does it express, Pastor Joe? It's expressed in irresponsibility. Okay? I'm going to be very direct. If you're 25 years old, you're a boy, and you're living in your mother's basement playing video games, get up off your butt and go get a job. If you don't take your life seriously, nobody else is going to. And you're passive, but the way it shows up is you're irresponsible. You need to work. It expresses itself on the other end, too, because it tries to show moxie. It's in headstrong independence. I'm the big guy. I'm Mr. Mayor. I'm everywhere at once. And you try to walk around with bravado. But the truth is, those of us that are real men see through that immediately. I'll do it myself, Pastor Joe. I don't need a mentor. Don't tell me what to do. I'm my own man. You're so great that no one has to speak into your life. That's amazing. Everybody's stupid but you. Got it. It also expresses itself in entitlement. In entitlement. You owe me. Listen to me very carefully. What took us a lifetime to achieve, we didn't achieve it just to hand it over to you in your PlayStation. We owe you jack. We owe you love. We're going to encourage you, and I'm right now encouraging you to get a job. Whole book of the Bible called Job. No prisoners today. Next thing. So that's one island. Next island is this. They exhibit superiority. They're superior to everybody else. Oh, I don't have time for that. They bow up. These are the real tough guys. What does it look like? It expresses itself in toughness. Again, hard to discern when you see somebody bow like that, whether it's because they're passive or because they're superior in their, in their uh, vision of themselves. But it's toughness. What does that look like? I can hit you the hardest. I can spit, being generous, the furthest. And I can make the worst sounds and smells. I'm tough. You're not tough. You're a boy. It's expressed in external success and status. Well, Pastor, I'm just going to achieve, and, and I'll impress everybody with the job I have and the balance of my bank account. Listen, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be thriving at your job. But there's more to you than just your stuff, right? There's more substance there than that. It's expressed in intimidation. I'm in charge. That's the end of it. I'll do it. And this person is leading. This is the type of person who drives in the passing lane on 131, and there's a line of hundreds of people behind them, and they say, I'm a leader. <laughs> Real men see it. Question, who has the moral responsibility? Answer, 1 Corinthians 16. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Notice it's not enough that you were born as a man. I am a male. Now, some people grow older but never grow up. It's not enough to be a male. It is to act like a man. Not just being a man, you need to act like a man. If I was building my home and I only had two studs, first stud would be Jesus. The second stud would be the man. And when you do it, when you trust him in that way, that's where you'll take ground. Write this down. 
men are not women. Welcome to 2023, where that's a profound point. Men are not women. Stop trying to make your man into some sensitive lifetime movie channel, Harmock wuss. Knock it. I'm serious. Stop. You think you want him to be all sweetsy, sweetsy. You don't want that. You don't want to wake up to a guy that's more prissy than you. Okay? You don't want it. Should we be emotionally mature? Yes. Should we be able to go there intimately and talk about... Absolutely. I think a real man can do that. But we have for decades tried to snip the wings of men and make them into feminine creatures where we're so in touch with who we are, we don't know which way is up any longer. Stop clipping the wings of your man. Men are not women. And I'm not saying that we don't need to be emotionally mature. I'm, I'm saying men aren't women. Men are called to lead. Men, are you leading your home? Are you leading your family? Your family is in desperate need for the man, the husband, the dad to lead them spiritually, to lead them to church, to lead them in prayer. Oh, Pastor Joe, I don't come from a background of prayer. Well, listen, you better hit the books like the rest of us who want to have a godly family. Well, it's awkward. Listen, it's awkward for all of us. Sometimes when I'm praying up here, it's fairly awkward, I will tell you. Get over it you got to be the man and lead your family spiritually. Check this out. If a child is the first in the household to become Christian, there's a 3.5% probability everyone else is going to follow. If mom gets saved, it's a little better, 17% of the family. There's a chance, 70% chance that the rest will follow. If dad gets saved, 93% probability everyone else in the household will follow. I'm saying this. Dad, your role is important. It matters. Husband, sir, your role is important. It does not work without godly order. All right, write this one down. This is fun. Men are not boys. So men aren't women. This is true. But men are not called to be boys. Stop abdicating your role. Stop being lost in your iPhone all evening. This is your moment. This is your time. You need to carry some weight. I'm not saying that we don't cast our cares on the Lord for a We do. A real man does. But there is a weight of being a dad, and it involves your role, your time, your focus, and, and they just need it. They need you to do that. You have to do that. Many people grow older yet not up. 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says this, When I was a child, I spoke. And I thought, and I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I sold my PlayStation. I put childish things behind me. Now, I'm a very trendy dad. Let me tell you how trendy I am. I'm cutting edge. Last Christmas, I bought my kids the latest and greatest game system. It's called Nintendo 64, baby. We're playing Mario Kart, and we're laughing, we're having a good time, but what I'm not doing is I'm not hanging out in my boxers all Saturday playing PlayStation when my kids want to go play outside. Do you understand me? You have got to grow up and put the childish things behind you. This is your moment. This is your time. If there's any time to be dad, now's the time to be dad. So what does this mean? What does it look like? I have moments left with you. And in truth, I probably opened up more of a can of worms than anything else, but books and volumes could be written about this subject. I want to give you just a glimpse of what it looks like. 
the Jesus of their home. When men act right, men, write it down, are engaged. They're engaged. What does it say? Be watchful. Act like a man. Be watchful. Be engaged. Pay attention to what's going on at home. What are your kids listening to? What are they watching? What is your family watching? Is this honoring Christ? How's their attitude? How's their spirit? Engage with your kids. Some of you were raising your kids. Everything was fine. They got to middle school age and high school age, and you started to get afraid of them. Stop it. That's a, that's a ploy of the enemy to try to make you inept in engaging with your family. You engage with them the same way. Don't let them go off into their phone with their own game console or with their phone. It's not iPhone. It's my phone. You understand me? I'm going to go in there, grab that. I'm not going to let you go there and be isolated. The Bible says a child left to himself brings destruction. I didn't start this family and procreate to have kids who hate my guts, have technology I don't want them to have in a room alone where I don't get to see them and do their own thing. Be watchful. Be watchful. Don't miss seasons in your marriage. Don't miss seasons in your kid's life. You got to be engaged. Next thing, men, you need to take a hard stand in faith. It says, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. So don't be cavalier. Don't be loose with things. Stand firm on your convictions. We don't do that. For the Bevelacquas, I never make church the heavy. Never. Well, what will the church be? I could honestly care less what y'all think. I'm going to raise my kids in a godly way because I'm Christian. I'm going to raise my, my family in a certain way because my name is Bevelacqua. It's an old, respected Sicilian name. I want to bring honor to who I am. A good name is better than rest. I don't make church. Well, don't do that. What are the church? I say, we don't do that. We're Christian. We don't do that. We're the Bevelacquas. We're not like other families. I have a strong conviction to do certain things. When we go on vacation, I have to eat what I'm cooking. I'm telling you all to go to church. When I'm on vacation, I go to church. You don't think I want to sleep in every once in a while? I don't miss. Because I want my kids to know, man, we were always in the house of God. Didn't matter where we were, we were giving God worship. He asked for Sunday, he got it. We take a hard stand on what? On sin, on repentance, on judgment in the coming age. We take a hard stand on the tithe, on church attendance, on prayer. The apostle Paul said, I have kept the faith. And men, you are the gatekeeper of your home. It's you. It's who you're called to be. Next, write it down. Men are called to be both loving, loving, and firm. It says, act like men. Be strong and do it all in love. So, Dad, this is that balance. This is the, the old mercy and truth. This is, this is, uh, this is you being a, a godly and loving dad and being gracious with your kids and at the same time having that high standard. You're going to have the high standard, but you're not going to provoke your kids to wrath. You're not going to yell. You're not going to put your family on a chase. He who troubles his household will inherit the wind. If you terrorize your family right now, listen to me, sir, nobody's going to be around you when you're an old man. They can't tolerate it. They cannot go there. So you need to be strong. We we do things a certain way, but you're going to do it in love. The rod of your anger shall fail. You can't spank your kids in in anger and expect it to work because here's what happens. Here's the phenomena. They begin to equate correction with you being angry. And I'm going to listen to mom or dad when they're angry. If they're not angry yet, it's not bad enough. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes to stay saved, you have to go in the other room for a little bit. Let everybody cool down so you don't beat the blessing off that little idea. (laughs) 
you got to do it the right way. You hear what I'm saying? You can't do it. In, if you do it in anger, it'll fail. So what do we do? We're both loving and firm. I'm uncompromising. We're going to do it this way, but I love you. And I'm going to be just like Jesus to you. You're going to be a bruiser. You're not man. Big old tough guy throwing your weight around. Listen, just because you're born male doesn't make you a man. You need to be one that has mercy and truth at your disposal. Walk like Jesus. Be Jesus to your home. Real character, man, is you staying faithful to the one that you said you'd be with forever. It's walking this thing out in front of our family in such a way where they see who a, a, a man really is and therefore who their God is that you'd reflect Jesus in your home. And so, man, i got to wrap this up. All hell is coming against your home. All hell is trying to keep you weak. All hell wants to make you powerless in your decisions. You're either going to go for passivity or chauvinism. I choose neither. I choose to reflect Jesus Christ, and I encourage you to come along with me. If you feel condemned, listen to me. Listen to how I started this message. I said I was nothing before God. But God, with a mighty hand, showed me how to be a man that I can lead with a sober heart and mind and show other people what Jesus looks like. This generation of confusion needs to be shown what men look like. In this world, this generation needs to see what a marriage looks like. And it's on us as men to lead the home. Don't ever put your wife in the spot to lead your home again. They're not called to do it. You're putting them in a position they were never called to be in. They can thrive and be a vibrant part of the spirituality of your home. But, sir, you're the leader. The sun rises and falls on you. And so there's no stones. Here's the encouragement. Play the man. Act like the man. Put it on. Make your decisions soberly. We don't want to look down at you. We're not. We remember who we used to be. We want to lift you up. And I want to end with this. Joshua chapter 24. Consider today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Give God praise at New Chapel. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray for my church. God, I pray for the men. Lord, I pray that I have no condemned men. I pray that I have men that were spurred on to activity, that they're not going to be passive about their future or their home, but, God, they're going to give the spiritual guidance from heaven that you're going to give only to them. And, Lord, unless there are single moms, these men, have, have to, they must rise up. Lord, I thank you that you surround them with other guys who can give them support, not just tell them what they want to hear. Lord, I pray that homes are going to be founded on the rock of your truth and that they can outlast anything. Lord, even for all of our imperfections, we trust you. And God, we thank you that as we take these different truths in as hard as they might be, Lord, I thank you that we can build a home that can outlast anything. We honor you, sir. I bless the men of this church in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for another minute, if you would, if you came into church today, and your life is not right with God, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you make Jesus Christ, God's only son, Lord of your life, it's the only way that you get back in relationship with God. And and when that happens, the Bible says you're saved. You, You have an eternity in heaven. This is true. You avoid hell. But God has an abundant life, a vibrant life, a vibrant marriage and family available to you today. So we're going to pray. 
And the Bible says if you mean it, if you call him Lord and mean it, you will be saved. And hear me, you want that. Not church. I want you to pray it with the people who are praying it maybe for the first time. Or maybe those people who are rededicating. I want you to pray it out loud, supporting them. And I want you to pray this as a declaration of what you believe. Pray it with me, church. Pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. I believe it. So with my heart and with my words, I say Jesus is Lord. Forgive my sin, God. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people, those that accepted Christ. Come on, New Chapel. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And God, may men rise up in this church in Jesus' name. And as you go, love you guys. See you next weekend. Bring some body. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.